Psalm 147, verse 1 says, Praise praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant, and praise is comely. Or you could say, and praise is beautiful. And I say amen to that. Praise is beautiful. Singing this morning was beautiful. A welcome to each of you here this morning. Number of visitors here, glad you're here with us today. This Christmas Day, we have a special day that we're coming together today. It's Christmas. And there's something about Christmas that brings excitement. And especially the children. And as I look at my past and uh, growing up years, Christmas was always a special time. The time of coming together and spending family time and celebrating the birth of Jesus. It's been a blessing to be together this morning to celebrate and to remind us of the awesome birth of our Lord and Savior. Christmas is an exciting time of the year, and I believe it should be for us as believers. It should be a joyous time. And I, re- I realize that Christmas sort of has become a very commercialized event for a lot of people. And maybe we, a lot of people forget the reason for the season. And Tim reminded us a little bit of that this morning. If you were here for the Sunday school time, looking there in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. And I, I appreciated that and the, the comments that he made. And he had asked the question, should we celebrate Is it biblical or scriptural to celebrate Christmas? And I'm not here to debate that. Because if we would not celebrate Christmas, if we would suddenly say that that's not scriptural, that would be throwing out a lot of tradition. With the culture and the background that we have. But there is Bible-believing people that they would not consider it appropriate to to celebrate this day because of where it originates from. And I don't want to condemn anyone that has that, that believes that or feels that way. And I don't also want to make an excuse for how we celebrate Christmas. But there is something special about Christmas time. Family time, we give gifts, we express uh, express our appreciation for each other. And now as I'm thinking about it, I simply want to take this time also to to say thank you to the church for your many gifts in the last number of weeks. You have given so much in expressing your love and appreciation. Thank you for those gifts. And we appreciate that and have enjoyed most of them already and are still enjoying them. So God bless you for that. And, and maybe since it's Christmas time, I thought I would give a, a little bit of history about Christmas. And Tim or, or made some comments about that, and, and even Roman. And I realized that there is a lot of speculation about this. You can find all kinds of information about when Christmas started. But I will just share with you, uh, a few days ago, Newsweek had an article on why is Christmas on December 25th? And then also what you should know about Jesus' birth. And I'm not here promoting Newsweek. I just happened to come across that article, 
I don't typically read Newsweek. But I thought, found this interesting. And Roman, you said Christmas was a few hundred years before his birth. Now this is what this article says. I'm not going to quote word for word, but a few things from this article. According to this source, the first recorded date of Christmas being celebrated was on December 25th, 336, during the reign of Constantine. And as you remember who Constantine was, he reigned there in, in that era, and he was the one who brought church and state together. And so he was considered a Christian leader. And the word Christmas comes from Mass of Christ, or Mass on Christ Day. The name Christ originates from the Greek word Christos, or anointed one, which comes from the Hebrew meaning Messiah. And so that's how the word Christmas was formed. And this article went on, went on to say why Christians celebrate on December 25th. And according to this source, and again, Roman, I don't, I don't want to contradict what you said, but uh, this is what this source says. Between 350 and 360 after the birth of Christ, the first celebration of Christmas started in Rome. And at that time, there was the cult god Mithra or something to that, that name. I'm not saying I'm quoting that or saying that right. But they were worshiping this god and then also the cult of the emperor. They were very important in Rome. They had their gods that were very important. And so December 25th was celebrated as the birthday of this god, Mithra, who was the god of the sun. And this day became important to a lot of other religions in that time also. And so to compete with these other religions, the date of the birth of Christ was fixed to December 25th. Even the Christians wanted to celebrate Jesus' birth, and so they made it this day. And again, I'll say this is only, I'm only taking this from this source, and there is other ideas and opinions about that. But I found that interesting, uh, of where Christmas comes from. And, and here we are, hundreds of years later, celebrating Christmas on December 25th. And Randy alluded to this. Was Jesus born on Christmas Day? I think we would debate that, and, and probably not. But nonetheless, we celebrate his birth. That doesn't make his birth any less significant. His birth is significant. And aside from that, the fact is that Jesus, God, became flesh. no matter when you want to say Jesus' birth was, that fact does not change. God becoming flesh, him leaving the glories of heaven and coming to this earth in and through human flesh is totally and absolutely amazing and a miracle. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary in the tribe of Judah, in Bethlehem. And you can look at scripture and you can find many things that point to Jesus' birth in the Old Testament. And I was using some facts about when Christmas started. And you can go around and find all kinds of 
ideas, opinions of when it may have started. But looking at scripture and finding how that every single one that was prophesied was to the T. And so it does not change. The fact does not change that God became flesh. He was born by the Virgin Mary. And this is, this is what we celebrate Christmas about. And it is an amazing story. And there, there's no other religion that has anything in comparison to a miracle like this. No human being could come up with something like this. God becoming flesh. And we heard about this in our, Randy mentioned this this morning. But the sad part is that today, Christmas means a lot of different things to different people. For some, it's simply a time of uh, family time or it's a time of off of work or school. It's vacation. And many people are so busy with other things that they don't even have time for church, family, or they don't have time for church. They don't even have time to think about this awesome birth of Jesus and of who Jesus is. And yes, I think a lot of people may think of Jesus' birth, but they only leave it there. And today, most people would rather not use the word Christmas. We're aware of that. And not so long ago, you most people, I remember growing up, people would say Merry Christmas. Today it's what? Happy Holidays. Is there anything wrong with that? But just think about the change, how that changes over time, or how that has changed over time. A few years ago, there was an eight-year-old boy. This was in Massachusetts. And he was sent home from school, and, and he was ordered to undergo psychological evaluation after he was asked to make a Christmas drawing. Because in this drawing, he had been to church a few days before, and he saw a picture of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. And so that was fixed in his mind. And when his teacher said they were to draw something about Christmas, he drew something, he drew that picture of Jesus being crucified. He was ordered to go home to undergo psychological evaluation. We say, how can that be? Just because a little child drew something about Jesus. But that's the time we're living in. And these things kind of creep up on us before we know what happened, what, what is really happening. The idea of Jesus Christ is being pushed out more and more. But the good news is, like it said there in our, in our lesson, Sunday school lesson, in Matthew 1.21, it says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We celebrate his birth, but much more than that. We celebrate, not only celebrate, but we embrace and we claim that, that he came to save his people from their sins. That is why Jesus came. And that is available for every, for everyone today. Last Sunday, Alvin had a message on the Holy Spirit. And I appreciate that. Thinking of the Trinity 
and how it's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so today I'm going to look at Jesus as the Son of God. And I, I know that we focus more on his birth this morning. But I want us to think a little bit of who was Jesus in the Old Testament. And then also thinking about who he is today and even in the future. And, and I know that's a lot of ground to cover, so I'm not going to expound much on all that. But just to give us a picture of who Jesus is, was in the Old Testament and who he is for us today. So first of all, I, I want to look at Jesus, or, or turn, turn with me to, to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. And I know this is not an Old Testament scripture, but it definitely refers to who he was. This is a familiar scripture to us. And Randy alluded to this, John 1, 1 this morning, and also uh, verse 14. I'm going to read a portion of this scripture here in John chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came with a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which was born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And so John, here in this first verse, he, he establishes several important facts. Jesus is referred to as the Word. And that comes from the Greek word logos. Christ is the logos meaning the word of God. And this verse also makes it clear that the word, Jesus, is identical to the creator. The word was God. And the word was with God. And if you look at the next few verses there, it, it makes it clear that Jesus was there in the beginning. And when was the beginning? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. The word Jesus was there at creation. 
He is the creator. And you can also see that in verse 10 of chapter 1. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And there's, there's other scriptures that line up with this of Jesus being there in the beginning. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. Paul also confirms this about Jesus. It says there, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Now, it's also interesting to me to, to note that in Genesis 1, or in Genesis 1, 1, the, the Hebrew word translated God, now, I, I don't consider myself a Greek scholar, but I, I find this interesting that the Greek word there is Elohim, which is plural. This has, it's a plural noun, sort of like we use the word church, or family, which signifies one family with, a family is more than, or a church is more than one person, right? It's plural. And that's the way the word God is used here in Genesis 1.1. When you think of a church or family, it's not just one person, but it involves several people. It's plural. And that's the way it is in Genesis 1.1. It has the Trinity right there, and also here in, in uh, John 1.1. In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. It is the Father and the Word that were included there. Word being Jesus. It was God and Jesus being included there. The one who became Jesus was used by the Father from the beginning in the creation. Now I want us to note... Uh, note Take note of verse 18 in John chapter 1. There it says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And John had just explained here in this chapter that he was a personal witness of Jesus. We know John as being the beloved disciple. He was the one who was with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He ministered with him. He, he witnessed his, his uh, miracles and his teachings. He was with Jesus. And then it does say here that no man has seen God at any time. But it's evident that John saw Jesus, right? We, we would all agree with that, I think. You could say that John saw God in the flesh. The Word. He saw the Word being Jesus in Exodus 33:20 it says God said to Moses thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live and in, in that context there Moses was requesting to see God he wanted to see God and he desperately wanted to see him but Jesus but God made it very clear that he cannot see him and live Jesus made it clear in some other verses. In, in John 5, 37, Jesus says, And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And another verse in John 6, 46, 
Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. Again, I just emphasize that Jesus makes it very clear that no one else, no one has seen the Father except him. Now, if you go back in the Old Testament, you will find a number of scriptures that say, that would appear like they had an encounter with God. So who was this that they saw? You can read about Abraham, about Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. Uh, when, when Moses was with Aaron and the 70 elders, it, it says there, if you look at those verses, it, it says them about seeing God or they had some kind of encounter with God. And some of them even had, some of them were visions during this time that they had this encounter. It would appear a few times like Abraham and Jacob, like they had a face-to-face conversation with God. You have the story of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, when the three Hebrew men were in the furnace, and there was a fourth person in there, and Nebuchadnezzar said that it was, the, the fourth person was like the form of the Son of God. So who did these people see? In these various encounters, the, the God who appeared and spoke with these individuals, again, is, is identified, it uses that plural form of Eloikim, if you look at the Greek or the Hebrew there, and it, it's the plural. So who did they see? Is it possible that they saw Jesus? Remember, John saw Jesus, the Word, becoming flesh. And I know you could have varied opinions about who did they actually see. Is it possible that it was Jesus? Maybe that's something you can talk about at your Christmas uh, family gathering today or the next few days. Who did they see? It was some kind of heavenly being. Scripture says that no man can see God, and yet those scriptures say they saw God. Who did they see? Now I want us to think about the, some prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Or, or there's some others that refer to him as the rock or the Lord of hosts and the I am. And you can find these scriptures even in, in the New Testament using those uh, titles about Jesus. And it, it, goes, it uses them in the Old Testament also. Jesus was referring to himself as the I am or the rock and the Lord of hosts. Now... Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. I want to just look at a f- two verses here. Again, these are very familiar verses. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Looking at who Jesus is today and in the future. These are verses that refer to him of who he is. We, we talked, Sunday school was about him being born, coming to this earth as a baby. But the Old Testament also has a lot to say about who he is today and in the future. Notice how how he describes him here. And it almost as if he was already born. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. 
upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And there's a lot could be said here in these verses about who emphasizing these different titles. But I want us to think about who Jesus is to you or who he is for us today. We talked about the story of him being born and how the angels, we heard a little bit about how the angels went and told the shepherds and how they went and worshipped him. And we could talk about how the wise men went seeking for him. And this is all an amazing story. And Christmas really is about the miracle of Jesus coming to the earth in the flesh. But here Isaiah describes him 700 years before he was born as the the wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And I want to just give a short description of, of each one of these titles or how it's described about him. And as humans, when we give titles to each other, we kind of, we try to live up to that. But think of who Jesus is, and how he in absolute perfection lives up to every one of these characters or the titles described about him. Absolute perfection. He will never let you down. The first one is the wonderful counselor. I like to put those two words together. I know the King James Version has a comma in there, but there, there is actually some translations that omit that comma. And I, I like to think of him as the wonderful counselor. Jesus being the wonderful counselor. The word wonderful means incomprehensible or beyond understanding, and it refers to someone with great wisdom. And the word wonderful in the scripture is never used about a person, about a human being. But it is about God. It is about Jesus. And so he is a wonderful counselor. We, we live in the day of counselors, psychiatrists, and, and, and psychoanalysts, and therapists. And I'm, these things have their place. One person said this about counselor, about counseling, that a counselor is someone who will help you organize your hang-ups so you can be unhappy more efficiently. And don't misunderstand me. That, that is maybe downplaying counseling. Because I believe that counseling does have its place and is important. But I want us to also think about who is, where do you ultimately go for your counseling? We need each other for counseling. I, again, don't misunderstand me. That has its place. And we can all benefit from counseling. But ultimately... Where do we get our counsel? We have to be discerning of where we get it. Think about Eve. Where did she get her, the counsel that she received and obeyed? It led to sin. So let's go to Jesus because he will never misjudge who you are and give you the answers that you need. Sometimes that's through people. So counseling is good. But let's be careful of where it comes from. The mighty God. Isaiah made it clear that this, is, that this child and king would be more than just a man. He would be the mighty God. He would be the everlasting father. 
He is like a father to us, fatherly in his love and care, fatherly in his goodness and compassion. This is his character. This is who he is. And then it says he is the prince of peace. In Luke 2.14, the angels sang to the shepherds of one who would bring peace on earth. It's a peace that passeth all understanding. Romans 5.1 says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then there in Isaiah verse 7, describes him as a peace that will have no end. So we can have peace now, but it's Jesus being the Prince of Peace. There is no end. The Prince of Peace. He is going to come and rule this earth. And he's going to get rid of all the chaos. He is going to be the Prince of Peace. Like no other. Someday, he is going to come again through the clouds of heaven. He's going to establish peace on this earth. He's going to be the judge among all nations, among all people. The Prince of Peace. And I'm thankful that we can serve a God that is a promise-keeping God. What he promises, he will fulfill. What he says, he will do. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. The everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. And much could be said on each one of these. In fact, you could have a sermon on each one of them. Let's worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. Today is Christmas Day, and it's an exciting time of the year. And over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth as a baby. The news got out for some of those, and they went and worshipped him. The shepherds went and worshipped him. The wise men went seeking for him. But there was a lot of people in the local area who did not go and even, I don't even think they sought him out. They didn't go worship him. I want to challenge us today, where are we at with worshiping the king, the Lord of Lords? Who are you going to worship this Christmas season? Let's not be like the society around us who kind of just remembers him as a baby, a cute little baby. But let's remember him as, as it says here in Isaiah, a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. I want to challenge you with this. This is not original from me, but uh, I came across this. If someone were to visit your home and they would know nothing about Christmas, what would they see? Is it about Santa or a savior? Rudolph and the reindeers or a redeemer? Jingle bells or Jesus? Happy holidays or Merry Christmas. I trust that we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, as, I, as Isaiah describes him. May God bless you in that. And may we keep our focus on Jesus, the Son of God, the one who is going to come again. As we focus on his birth at this time. I believe God also wants us to think of him 
as he is now and who he's going to be in the future. Ultimately, who he's going to be, what he has done for us, and who he will be in the future. Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being the brightness of his Father's glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. God bless you, and I trust that you will have a blessed Christmas and worshiping the Lord of Lords. Stand with me for prayer.